Now look to the other person that you rejected on your other side and say, I'm ready to receive from the Lord. And I want you to shout it at me. I'm ready to receive. Come on, lift your hands all across this sanctuary. Come on, lift your hands, lift your hands. I really believe God wants to speak a special something into our hearts today. I want you to give me your undivided attention for the next, what time is it? You give me to just 1210. Give me 30 minutes and I want to just release something to you that I believe God wants to do something supernatural. Do you receive that? If you receive that, don't clap. I want you to stand up if you receive that in Jesus' name. That God's going to do something supernatural. I need people who are willing to stand against the grain today, amen. I believe God has something amazing for you. Lift your hands if you're in agreement with me. Come on. Come on. In Jesus' name, dear Heavenly Father, we seek after your heart. God, we desire more of you right now. Open our ears. Somebody say, open my ears that I might hear your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Before you sit down, high-five your neighbor and say, it's a Jesus revolution. <clears throat> Come on, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. Let me get comfortable here really quick. Let me take this phone out of my pocket. Oh, I just believe the Lord has something awesome for you. For a number of years, this series we're about to embark on, for a number of years, it has burned in my heart, fueled by the Holy Spirit and by a desperate desire to see dramatic change in and around us. I believe God wants to bring dramatic change to hundreds of cities across our country. That's right. Somebody help me preach this today. Shot me down if I'm preaching good. Amen. I put emphasis on the word cities because I realize although this church is based in Bridgeport, we have members from Stratford, Milford, Waterbury, Naugatuck, New Haven, Hamden, Shelton, uh, Beacon Falls. We have members all over the place. And I believe God wants to do something amazing. I believe uh, as a church, and not just in this church, but in the body of Christ as a whole, we're on the threshold of something supernatural. And today I want to lay the groundwork for the next three weeks of sermons that I will be preaching to you all on the sermon series entitled, A Jesus Revolution. Today's subtitle is Forerunners for Christ. Forerunners for Christ. There are numerous definitions of the word Revolution, But I'm focusing on a certain viewpoint of it and for the next few weeks. Among these numerous definitions in Webster's Dictionary, the most valid for our purpose is a sudden, complete, marked change in something. A revolution by definition is a sudden, complete, marked change in something. I believe there is coming a sudden and complete shift and change in the body of Christ as a whole. We're in the infantile stages of this massive move of God that is coming. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see it develop. Over the next couple of months, years, we'll see it develop. At the root of this will be an entire shift and focus of the body of Christ. Are you with me today? There will be a shift and a focus of the body of Christ. The word revolution derives itself from the Latin words re, 
meaning back or again, and the Latin word volveri, which means to roll. You with me so far? Allow me to educate you. It seems to have been originally used to describe the motion of planets around the sun. And as the planets moved around the sun again and again, when the planet made one complete rotation around the sun, it was called the revolution. It's called a revolution. The use of the word to mean a major political upheaval dates back to the 15th century, especially to, to describe removals of King James in England, the glorious revolution. The French Revolution of the French monarchy and the winning of America's independence from Britain, the American Revolution. Understanding the original definition of this word revolution, which means that a planet surrounding itself around the sun over and over, every time it makes one complete turn, it's a revolution. You follow me so far? And so when the Americans revolted against Great Britain, well, the reason they call it a revolution is we no longer revolved around England. We revolved around our own government. Tell somebody he's going to go somewhere. When, when the, the English government, rather the, the, the people, overthrew King James II, the revolution no longer, the country rather, no longer revolved around King James. And so when there's a revolution, you change what's at the center. And at the center of the church across America is not Jesus Christ. At the church across America is more, I want to feel good today. At the center of the church is my needs, not the needs of God. At the center of the church, we've become so accustomed to addressing the needs of people, we've abandoned the needs of God. We've become so accustomed and pastors get so scared to lose members and deal with issues in the church that they try everything to keep people in and they forget who's out there. But when a church is centered on Jesus Christ, who's out there matters more than who's in here. When a church is centered on Jesus Christ, things are different. When our government was first founded back in 1776, we were centered on godly principles. And the reason why we're in a down spiral is because we're no longer centered on godly principles. A government so worried about things that don't seem to matter. And maybe they matter in small ways. But don't talk to me about gun control when the, when the economy is in shambles. There's bigger things to worry about. We can't major in the minors and minor in the majors. And we as people allow our politicians to do it. And there's got to be a godly shift in the church. In essence, the word revolution can be defined as a complete change in what something revolves around. I, be, I began to feel the Lord years ago prophetically just uttered to me over and over and over over the course of three years now. There's going to be a spiritual complete shift and a revolution. I can't say that enough. Where, where the church is not based on tradition, not based on doctrine, not based on man-made theologies, but it's based simply on Jesus Christ. There is coming a Jesus revolution where things will shift and he will take his rightful place in the church. 
through much studying, historians and all types of scholars have laid down four stages of every revolution. There's four stages in every revolution that ever took place in humankind. There's four stages in common, and over the next four weeks, we will draw spiritual parallels to each stage. You follow me? We will draw spiritual parallels to each stage. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3, looking at verse 1. Matthew chapter 3. And the first stage, as you're turning in your Bible, the first stage of any revolution is the incubation stage. The incubation stage. I might do a little more teaching for the first couple of minutes rather than preaching, but God wants to release something to you. Matthew chapter 3, reading from verse 1. And in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camels here, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Look to your neighbor and say the incubation stage. The incubation stage, by definition of political unrest, is when a group of people within the nation or the country, they get tired of what's happening around them. They get tired of tyranny. They get tired of just uh, laws that are made against them, and they lose faith in the system. They lose faith in the system. They begin to criticize leadership, criticize government. Not in a bad way, but in a righteous way. They begin to criticize the government, and they begin to, eventually, because of all the criticism, there begins to be a financial downfall in that country. Are you with me today? In the church, what we're seeing right now is well-known churches empty out. We're seeing old churches that have been based in Bridgeport for many years and based all across this country. It's not just happening here. We're seeing churches who've lost their vision and people are scattering. This might be tough for some of our internet hearers to hear, but there's churches all across Connecticut and especially in Bridgeport who are, who are losing people left and right. And there's criticism of leadership because vision is not in the place and without vision the people will perish. I began to pray months and months ago as, as we began to see influxes of people coming into the church and God was saying, I'm changing who, we, who I'm changing that the church revolves around me now. There's too many people. I don't want you to be loyal to Pastor Lewis or to Citywide. I want you to be loyal to the voice of God. I want you to be loyal to the Holy Spirit. I want you to be here because God's moving. I want you to be here because there's vision in the building, because we have a purpose and we have a design and we want to see God move. It's not about our church name. It's not about your pastor's name. It's about Jesus Christ. This unrest amongst the people, they lose hope in the current system. 
they lose their faith in it. In terms of kingdom, the kingdom of God, John the Baptist was the incubator of God. For he came in preaching a message, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Repent for the kingdom of God is near. John the Baptist was the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the cousin of Jesus the Christ. Luke chapter 1 verse 41 records that when John was in his mother's womb and he heard the voice of Mary, the mother of Jesus, while she was pregnant, that in his mother's belly the Holy Spirit got into him and he leaped in his mother's belly. He was the person prophesied of in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 who would be a forerunner for Christ, making a way for Christ in the wilderness. John the Baptist was one of the greatest men in biblical history, so much so that in Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 11, 11, that no greater man has ever been born of a woman than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a forerunner for Christ. He came preaching a message of repentance and of the kingdom of God. This message he spoke was a message not known to people of his time. It was a message that broke tradition. The message of the coming kingdom of God was not new to the Jews, but the message of repentance in order to inherit the kingdom was new to the Jews. The Jews thought because, well, well, because I'm a Jew, a child of Abraham, I automatically qualify for the kingdom. That's like Christians saying, I go to church, so I automatically qualify for heaven. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Somebody tell your neighbor, no. That's bad theology. What matters to these people, he's saying, he says, repent. In order to get into this kingdom, repent. The Jews believe that they're just going to get in because they're God's favorite people. But yet John the Baptist preached a message to repent. Why is it relevant to us? Because there are so many churchgoers that truly believe they will earn salvation or get into heaven because of their works, because of their church going, because of their association to Christianity, but that is no guarantee into heaven. And what needs to happen is real repentance take place in the heart of the church members in order to inherit the kingdom. The same message Jesus declared, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the message that Jesus proclaimed over and over and over. Repentance does not mean to say, I'm sorry for my sin. That's not what repentance is. Repentance means that you change your ideology concerning sin and you're no longer like the things of the world. Confessing your sins is a byproduct of repentance. So is why the Bible says that John preached in Matthew 3, repent, then the people were baptized, and then they confessed their sins. In church, we got it all backwards. We want you to confess your sins, tell God you're a sinner, and then God will change you on the way out. No, change your mind concerning sin. Change your attraction towards sin. Repentance is the changing of our minds. The actual literal translation of a word repentance means to do a 180, about face. The literal translation of that word means to do a 180, meaning to walk away from everything you were doing before. Repentance deals with the mind. Confession, forgiveness deals with the mouth. For if we are faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And the Bible says, if you would declare with your mouth, if you would declare with your mouth, 
But we want to declare with our mouth and in our hearts still be attracted to the worldly things and still think we're getting into heaven. So the message of John the Baptist, a forerunner for Christ, in order to spark a revolution was great. And it kind of goes with us now that we need to repent and turn from the things that does not honor God. John's message was a complete different message from the ordinary of what they were used to. John, in literal figurative terms, he's saying, stop what you're doing and turn around for Jesus is coming. That was something you should get excited about. Stop what you're doing. Turn around for Jesus is coming. John the Baptist referred to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all the religious people of the time, as a brood of vipers, and he looked upon them with contempt in that they had misled people into believing that by their works they would inherit heaven. But rather, John says, no, repent. You're still living in sin. You still have things wrong. Repent. Repent and turn from your ways. And then he told them, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Bearing fruit. Could you imagine, could you imagine an apple tree trying to bear fruit? Could you imagine any tree that has fruit? A banana tree. Could you imagine a banana tree trying to, to bring forth a banana? Could you imagine a coconut tree trying to bring forth coconuts? It's got to be one of the stupidest things you ever heard of because that's what they do naturally. All by itself. It's a process naturally. So John says you should bear fruit worthy of repentance because once you repent, naturally you bear fruit. Naturally, you're going to bear some fruit. And then he said in Matthew 3.10, the axe is at the root of the tree and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. In the incubation stage of any revolution, there is a falling away of faith in the current system. John the Baptist, he went all around Judea, all around Jerusalem, preaching this revolutionary message of Jesus and his impending kingdom, not really saying Jesus, but repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He took people by the tens of thousands out from the old Jewish system into this new line of thinking, the incubation stage. He prepared tens of thousands to hear the words of Jesus Christ. He prepared tens of thousands to be receptive to the ministry of Jesus Christ. All across America, many churches are finally hearing a truth about Jesus. We're getting past the fire and brimstone. You're on your way to hell. Have fun. And we're hearing about the loving side of Jesus Christ. We're hearing about the grace of God. We're hearing about the truth that is Jesus Christ. We're hearing that he accepts us as sinners but does expect to change in the long run. We're hearing the truth about Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm in love with the truth about Jesus. The focus in the church is not God half the time. We're seeing places of worship empty out that have been around for years. There's no growth in half the churches across the city and every healthy thing grows. If there's no growth, I must question the health of an organization. We have to understand that there is a transition happening all over where tradition is being broken. 
doctrines that are of the devil are being shattered and the truth of Jesus is being exposed. It's being preached in a way that is setting the captives free. There's a lining of believers happening where the focus is being turned on Jesus. Where Jesus is once again taking center stage as he so belongs. Are you with me today? There's an alignment, a Holy Ghost alignment happening where the focus is on Jesus. Jesus said the harvest is plenty, the laborers are few. There is a harvest coming, but there's a necessity for laborers. Jesus said, he said, call out to the Lord of the harvest that he may send more laborers. You know what God has enough of? God has enough Christians who stick their nose in a book all day, want to spend so much time with him, they forget about the world. God has enough of you. God has enough of you lazy Christians who don't want no responsibility in the church and you try every way to get rid of it. God has enough. God is looking for laborers. People who don't talk, but people who will do. People who will go to the streets and reach out to the lost. People who will love the drug addict. People who will love the prostitute. People who will love the drunk. People who will love everybody. God's looking for laborers. God's tired of you super saved Facebook Christians that the only time you preach the good news is on your Facebook wall. Let it come from your mouth. The Bible says bless God with the fruit of your lips, not the fruit of your Facebook wall. There's got to be a revolution in your heart and in your mind where, where he takes center stage in your life and not in your head. Because if he's not center stage in your life, see, I, I believe so many of you want God to be center stage, but he's only center stage in your mouth. Meaning that you say he's center stage, but God's not the center focus of your life. I know that may sound so harsh to some of y'all. God wants to be the center focus of his church. God's church is not about you. It's about him. God's church is not about you. And the reason why New England has not seen a revival is because we've made it all about us. We've so focused on us, become the church to get closer to God because we know that once we're closer to God, we'll get more from God. That's not God's way. That's not what God wants. God's desire is to be drawn near to him to see his heart. And when we see his heart, we go back out so we can tell others about it. But some of y'all want to come in there and see God's heart. Be like, oh, that's so pretty. Oh, look at that heart. Oh, I want to just, just stay with Jesus. And then you have single guys. I'm all right being all by myself. I just got Jesus. And you have girls. I don't need no man. I got Jesus. He's everything I need. Oh, God, I, that's cut that garbage out. You know you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself, and at night you struggle. And there's an emptiness inside of you because you lied to yourself. And I would caution you to, be, to watch out for these super saved people who would tell you that, that, that God wants you in this phase of your life for X amount of years. Or you want God's plan for your life, not nobody else's. Be careful what you're putting on Facebook. Be careful what you're putting out there for the whole world to see. Is nothing sacred anymore? Is your business not private anymore? And you're the center stage in your life. Got Christians, and there's some things that God cannot and will, he won't do for you, ladies, gentlemen. 
He won't crawl up in your bed for you. That's a human desire God does not have. So when you say God's all the man, you're lying. God's everything. That's not true. God saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone, so he made him Eve. And then, and then, and then publicly you say, I don't need nobody. And privately, God, where are they at? You said you don't need nobody. Christians are like this because we're the center stage. Because if God's will was center stage in your life, you would have forgiven the man or the woman that hurt you and be ready for the next one that God sends. But because we're so hurt and we haven't forgiven and we're center stage and our feelings are more important than God's will for our lives, we're, is anybody with me? Here's the problem with the truth about Jesus that you might not know. It's downright offensive. You cannot preach truth about Jesus and make everyone in the room happy. You cannot preach the truth about Jesus and comfort people all the time. Because when Jesus preached, folks got uncomfortable. Everywhere Jesus went, there was division. The church is naive to think that revival will come through mass unity. Revival will come through thousands of churches across America shutting down and real Christians assembling in real churches who have a heart after God. And then revival breaks out. You look like a city like North Carolina, uh, 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 just um, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, where Elevation Church is at. Seven-year-old church, close to 30,000 members. Seven years old, 30,000 members, eight campuses, one city. A ninth in Toronto. 20,000, 30,000 people in one city, in one church. You're going to tell me they didn't shut other people down? They told, they, they tell the story of their church. Many places shut down, but God began to move in North Carolina. The church is naive to request mass unity. If you're going to request mass unity from God, it's going to happen through places who aren't in God's will shutting down. That's a hard, harsh reality. But everywhere that Jesus went, he caused division. He divides. The Bible says his word is sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides. It divides the heart from the flesh in your life. It divides. John the Baptist, he was bringing this, this message. And the Bible says he did it in the wilderness. And I'm almost done. The Bible says he did it in the wilderness. He did it in the wilderness. He preached this message in the wilderness. And the wilderness is a barren, dry place. But yet the Bible constantly speaks of new life in the wilderness. For it was in the wilderness where Moses met God. It was in the wilderness in Isaiah 43 that God prophesied there would be a forerunner for Christ. Jeremiah 2, 2, in the wilderness God says he would bring his people so he can fellowship with them. Hosea 2, 14 and 15 declares that in the wilderness new life will spring forth. Bridgeport is a spiritual wilderness. It's a dry place where just one spark can start a wildfire for Jesus. The drier the atmosphere, the greater the fire. It's time that you put God at the center. God's looking for forerunners. He's looking for people like John the Baptist to preach the good news. Jesus is coming. The signs of the time are everywhere. The signs of the time are everywhere. Jesus marked as one of the signs of the time that we would see stars fall from heaven.
just a month or two ago, a giant meteor hit Russia. Stars fall from heaven. The book of Malachi says that one of the signs of the end time to be the last pope would be full Italian. Although he's from a Hispanic country, his roots are full Italian. One of the first times in history. You should not be so foolish as to think that you have the rest of your life to live. I would challenge you to live and plan your life, rather plan your life like you got 50,000 years left, but live it like only today matters. There's coming a day where Jesus returns to claim his church. And maybe if you find yourself in a wilderness experience in your life, I came to tell you, don't despair. Don't get angry. Just realize that God has the ability to birth new things in the wilderness of your life. It's time to refocus on the presence of God. The message of John the Baptist in the wilderness started a hotbed of controversy and thousands left traditional Jewish beliefs. They came in agreement with the coming of Jesus Christ. John blazed a trail in the incubation stage of this Jesus revolution. Believers who've been in church their whole life will re-energize their lives with God. They'll find new life in dry places and be able to see the word with new revelation and impartation. There is a new life taking place in this stage of the church simply because Jesus is going to become the center of the church once again. The stage of the spiritual revolution will attract unchurched people. It will bring in the church hurt people and those abandoned by the church. And it will also propel itself outside the four walls of the church. The incubation stage is real. It's happening right now. Even in the past few months, even today, we still see growth in our church. Growth, growth all over the church. It's the incubation stage. People wanting a fresh revelation of God. A fresh nuance of God. A breaking from old dogmatic thinking. And being open to what God is doing. A sense of excitement concerning God and a true heart after God. What is needed is forerunners like John the Baptist to rise up in this church. If you're under the sound of my voice today, I declare to you that there is a message that God desires for you to seek out to people. There is a message God desires that you would send out to people and that, that repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I believe with all my heart we're going to see days like Joel chapter 2 verse 28. And afterwards I will pour up my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I believe we're going to see revival greater than the day of Pentecost. I believe we're going to see revival like the likes of which we have not seen. I have, I have no idea when it's coming. I have no idea what it looks like. But I know one thing, that John the Baptist, when he spoke the message, revival happened. If you would speak the message, revival will happen. If you would speak the message, revival will happen. If people think, I don't need a revival. I don't need Christ like that. I have a great relationship with Christ. Chances are you haven't died to yourself because every dead thing needs a revival. And when you die to your own will, when you die to your own laziness, when you die to your own stubbornness, when you die to your own old ways, revival takes place in your own heart. I'm talking about a total revolution where, where now where you revolve around yourself, you begin to revolve around God. I'm talking about when you, when, you, when you usually do whatever you want, you begin to do what God wants. 
Now is the time for you to rise up, church. You are the hope this world needs. If you believe God is about to start a spiritual awakening, it is your job to begin to spread the good news. I got about five. That's all right. I just need Jesus changed the world with 12. I could change a city with five. I, I, know, I know all the time it's not popular to step outside yourself, but church, I'm trying to challenge you to a new height in your faith. I'm trying to challenge you that there are greater things that God has for you. Greater things that God desires of you. Greater things that you can do. Forerunners for Christ. A forerunner is one who spreads important news ahead of time. In our history books, there's a story of a famous forerunner. That maybe most of you know this forerunner. He was a silversmith that lived in New England back in 1776. His name is Paul Revere. And the story tells in the history books that, that Paul Revere, on a night where the British army was advancing to Lexington and Concord in Massachusetts where there was a bunch of arms and a bunch of, uh, of guns and military stockpiles that Paul Revere, history tells us, he hopped on his horse at midnight. And he began to ride through. Now what many people think is that he rode around talking about, oh, the British are coming, the British are coming. That's not what he did. Because not everybody was a patriot. Some were loyal to the old way. So Paul Revere had to ride, ride, ride to a house, knock on the door and say, listen, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. And he rode over 20 miles that night on a horse all across the countryside. And because of what he did, we won our first battle against England. The great thing about the story of Paul Revere is that by the end of his ride, because of what he had done, hear me out now, 40 other riders had gone out. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, not 10, 15, 20, 40. Who's waiting for you to come to their house and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ? That they would go and tell others. We're where is the church? Where is the church? What does it come to when our jobs take more presidents than Jesus Christ in your life? What does it come to that you're too busy for anything God-related? What does it come to, church, that God can't move because he's not invited into half the churches across America? As I prepared this section of sermon over three weeks ago, in my studies, the Lord spoke to me. He said, I'm raising up spiritual Paul Revere's. I'm raising up men. I'm raising up women who will stand up for the message of Jesus Christ. Who will stand up and go throughout Bridgeport, throughout Waterbury, throughout Connecticut, through your respective cities. He said, I'm raising up men and women who will finally take the message outside. I'm raising up people. I'm raising up spiritual forerunners. You may deem yourself insignificant, but if you would hop on the front lines of this coming Jesus revolution, you can impact thousands for the sake of the gospel. My goal as an individual is not to stop till all of Bridgeport is turned upside down, inside out for Jesus Christ. My goal as a pastor is to see cities change 
transformed and totally revolutionized by the power of Jesus Christ. When I'm done filling this school up right here, we're going to plant a second campus at another school in Bridgeport. And when we fill that school up, we're going to plant another one. And when I fill that one up, we're going to plant another one. We're going to have at least four campuses in just this one city because I believe we have to blanket Connecticut's largest city with Connecticut's best church. I believe in the vision that God is producing. I believe that God can change Bridgeport. I believe the church can become so powerful in Bridgeport we can put godly politicians in office. I believe the church can become so powerful in your cities. That's going to be our model, citywide church coming to a city near you. I mean, one by one, by one just, I hope y'all going, whoa, when I have to send you out to Stanford. And I hope y'all going, whoa, when I have to send you out to New Haven. Vision, vision carries you. Clarity of the vision guides you. Vision is the end goal. Vision is the end goal, where you're going to end up. But clarity is for the journey, as my pastor always tells me. I think that some of you are on a journey in your own personal life, and you need some clarity. You know, can I just do something different today? Can you stand up to your feet right now? You know, the Lord began to speak to me this week about this impending revival coming. And if I can get my prayer team just to come to the front right here. Just come to the front right here. You know, the Lord began to speak to me about this upcoming total revolution. God told me every great move of my spirit comes at one small step from a man. God desires to do this. God told me that this coming revival will be so powerful. Hear me out. Now, this is crazy. God told me this coming move will be so powerful that there's going to be a generation of fathers who've abandoned their children who come back to reclaim them. There will be a generation of fathers who've forgotten about their children who will come back and begin to mentor and father them properly. They will come to the mothers of their children and beg for their forgiveness because God is going to change their hearts. God says, if I can attack the men of the city, I can take over the entire thing. In this move of God, we're going to see men turn their lives over to God. There's a coming day so powerful where teenagers will begin to actually respect their parents again. There's coming a day so powerful that divorce rates won't be so high in the church of Jesus Christ. There's coming a day so powerful where signs and wonders will be seen and shown. But I want to talk to your hearts for the next three minutes. Come on, bow your heads right now. I want to talk to your hearts right now. Just bow your heads all across this room. And I want you just to focus on yourself. Because before you can have a revolution and a change of what centers in your life, in, in, in your church, it's got to start personally. And I believe with all my heart, there's a, there's a number of people, maybe more so than would like to admit in this room today, who your life does not revolve around Jesus Christ. In your life, although maybe you come to church and maybe you're saved, it doesn't revolve around Jesus the way it should. He's not your supreme affection. He's not where it needs to be. And my prayer as a pastor today, my, my, 
my question to you today is does anybody want Jesus to be the center of their life? Does anybody believe that just a few people can do something so amazing it can echo through a nation? Do you believe that a couple of people at 1181 Fairfield Avenue on April 7, 2013 can start something so powerful that Bridgeport never has to be the same, that your spiritual life with God never has to be the same, and there's people right now, and you're standing in your chair, you're right where you're at, and you're wrestling in yourself and in your heart right now, because you know I'm about to ask you guys, if you want God to be the center, I'm going to ask you to come to this front line right here to receive prayer, and I know some of you are fighting that right now, but I would challenge you to bow your heads right now, forget every who's around you and if that's you you're walking to this front I got one who already came if that's you and you're saying I want God to be the center and maybe you've been saved a hundred years I don't care but he's not center place and you want to see God move in your life come on make your way to this altar right now if you want God to be the center you want God to, to change things in your heart and in your life If you want to begin to see God change things, come on, that's right, the altar's open, the altar's open. If you want God to change, you want to see this Jesus revolution, I would challenge you to make your way on up. Come on, the altar's got room. You don't have to fight in your seat. You don't have to sit there and fight in your seat with yourself. There's strength in Jesus Christ. Jesus be the same. Come on, it's all about you. Yes, it's all about. Come on, from my heart. If you're standing in your seats right now, would you just bow your heads right now? Would you just bow your heads with me? Because I believe with all my heart, there's still a few more. And you're fighting with yourself right now. And I came to bring you the good news of Jesus Christ. He desires to be the center of your life. Things won't change overnight. The promise of God is not that your life will turn perfect, but that he'll be there with you in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your fight. Come on, I would challenge you. The altar is open for you. The altar is there for you. Come on, thank you. The altar is there for you right now. Jesus cares. Into the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all. Come on, church, sing it out. Come on, if you know him, lift your hands up. From my heart to the heavens. 
Come on, it's all about you. desire is that it would be all about you in this place. We want you to be the center of our hearts, the center of our minds, God. We want you to be the center point of affection in us, God. Father, as we leave this place in minutes to come, Father God, let not the word sown into us depart from us, God. Let us remember throughout this week, God, that you called us to be forerunners for Jesus Christ. You've called us to spread the gospel. You've called us to speak with power and authority and boldness. You've called us not to come to play church, but to be the church. Father, you called us. Let our hearts be set on fire for you, God. Let our hearts be set ablaze for you. God, we believe that you're going to bring a mighty shift, a mighty change in Bridgeport. We believe with all of our hearts, God, that you will pour out your spirit on all flesh. We believe an outpouring of your spirit to come. Come on, if you believe it, lift your hands with me as we come in agreement. Father, we desire to see you move, God. We desire to see your spirit, God. We desire to see you, God. Jesus, be the center of our hearts and lives, God. 
We need you, Holy Spirit. From my heart.